What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Divi Crypto Podcast. And today, I am joined by the ecosystem lead for NFT and gaming at Protocol Labs, John Victor. How's it going, John? Hey, it's going great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to, to kind of get into everything IPFS and Filecoin. But before we get into that, let's, let's kind of go through your backstory. What's your origin story for getting into crypto slash Web3? Yeah, um... So I guess it started probably around 2013 uh, in a very normal way. I think Bitcoin had that first big like run up that broke through in the mainstream. And at the time, completely confused about what Bitcoin was, uh, just saw that the number was going up. I was like, oh, I should pay attention to this. Um, at the time, I mean, broke college kid didn't have enough capital to put anything meaningful in. Um, but that was like the first time crypto sort of like permeated my brain space. Um, fast forward to 20, late 2015, early 2016, I was working my first job. Um, and one of my coworkers was super into Ethereum at the time. Um, they actually lost money in the Dow hack. And despite that, they were still <laughs> super bullish on Ethereum. And it was because of that coworker that I really started trying to pay attention and understand what were people doing with smart contracts? What was actually going on in the space? Um, it felt like it wasn't just money that people were talking about. It was this whole set of applications and people kept talking about it as if it was the future. Uh, so in standard style, doing my own research, uh, I just sort of went into the rabbit hole, uh, just trying to understand what was getting everyone else so excited. So listening to podcasts, uh, listening to lectures on YouTube, reading white papers. And during all of that, I think I came away with the conclusion that smart contracts were definitely unique, um, still couldn't fully conceptualize what they were going to be useful for. Um, but during that process and doing that research, I came across a talk Juan Benet, who's the founder of Protocol Labs, gave uh, one of his talks about IPFS. And while that isn't a blockchain in and of itself, I'm not sure if your listeners are familiar, um, IPFS totally made sense to me because of the work that I was actually doing in my normal job. Um, so I worked for this company called Palantir, where a lot of the work that we did was in distributed contexts. Uh, so you couldn't always assume that there was connectivity that the applications that you were building were going to be syncing into the broader web. And so building applications with sort of this assumption that you had to think local first uh, was sort of like already ingrained. And IPFS is a way of just upgrading the web in general to say, well, what if it wasn't just specialized applications, but it was literally everything that could think in this way? That was sort of like the big brain blast. <laughs> um, and it was because of that that I kept it tethered to both crypto and also what was going on in the Web3 space. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I kept a pulse on things through end of 2015 through uh, 2019. And in 2019, during like, I guess, the last tail end of the bears, like middle of 2019 or so, um, that was the point where I was like, damn, uh, like, although things seem to have gone down a bunch, there's still all of these people who are really excited and passionate about the stuff that they're building. And for me specifically, I think when we think about like what it means to build a decentralized web and the promise of a decentralized uh, internet. Um, that was something that I could still see that there's people who were set, super passionate and that felt like, yeah, an opportunity to go make an impact. So you want to go where there's the most opportunity and where per unit of life force, you can have the biggest impact. And that's what drew me in. Very cool. Very cool. And, and for everybody that's listening, you know, something that's really important that, John mentioned is is the infrastructure that a lot of the projects that are household names are using for, for example, hosting 
the majority are on AWS. So it is like a centralized sort of uh, back end. And the front end is, is just sort of this, you know, sort of system for monitoring a, a different token and moving around and whatnot. So I, I think there's, there's so much to be unpacked here with the importance of decentralized storage and, and how that works. But I'd like to start with protocol labs, like how how that begun. Uh, you mentioned that briefly, but let's talk a little bit about what what you guys are doing, and then we can talk about Filecoin a little bit, a little bit more. Yeah. So protocol labs was founded in 2014. Uh, Juan, who's our CEO, um, he's been in the crypto space for a while. Um, I think you can go find talks from like the first ETH DevCon, but even before that, um, like in the Bitcoin space as well. But I think if you sort of look at what Protocol Labs has been working on, um, it really follows this sort of like very logical thread of like, what does it take to build a decentralized internet? And as you start pulling on that thread, you start seeing more and more problems pop up. And then you realize that there's other things that you need to build in order to enable the outcome that you're looking for. Um, so the big idea with IPFS was, well, what if we could change the way that the internet moves data around? Uh, so as most people are familiar, I'm sure when you go to like a normal website, you'll like almost through muscle memory type in HTTP like or HTTPS colon slash slash like www.google.com or something. And what's happening behind the scenes is your computer is taking that URL and it's actually converting that. It's going through like DNS. It's going to convert that into some machine's IP address. And it's going to take your computer is effectively asking for the internet to take you to that computer and on that computer to go in and find a specific piece of data. Um, and we call this location-based addressing because that URL that the HTTP bit is referring to isn't telling you what the content is that you're looking for. It's telling you where to go to go find that content. And so, of course, that works really well in the web. Um, but of course, you might have run into some of the, the pieces of friction that come with that, where sometimes you'll go to a URL and like, the content that you're looking for isn't there and you'll get a 404. Or maybe that content has switched out. Someone sold the domain name and now the content that you thought was there is uh, like different. It may be owned by someone else and they might have put something else at the homepage that you thought you were looking for. Um, and so like the big idea with IPFS is to say, well, what if we didn't ask the internet to take us to specific locations? What if we could just ask the internet for specific pieces of data? So instead of saying like, I want to go to this specific like website and hope that the data is there that I'm looking for. I just ask the internet and say, hey, I'm looking for this specific piece of data. Whoever has it, can you please serve it back to me? Um, and so IPFS does this with this thing uh, called content hashing. Um, so we use basically a fingerprint of the content as the unique identifier. And then regardless of whether that's data coming off of your computer, so if like you've been to that website recently and it's cached in your Brave browser, uh, or if it's coming off of a computer that's hosted by someone else, or it's coming off of a decentralized storage network, your computer doesn't care. The data can come from anywhere, and it can be passed over whatever network, whether that's through the normal internet, whether it's through Bluetooth, whether it's through radio signals, it can be passed over whatever. And so the, the whole idea with IPFS is to really just say, rather than having these central points of failure where we're putting ourselves in a position where applications almost through necessity have to be the gatekeepers uh, and like host their own infrastructure. And you have to like tie yourself to specific servers to run these like powerful things that we all sort of rely on. If we can create applications that uncouple the data layer from the application layer, you can now have a lot more flexibility in where that data actually lives. And it can actually be controlled by users. It can be stored in whatever ways it makes sense. 
So if you peel back the layers, IPFS was sort of like the first really big idea. But as you start trying to build out that system, you realize, oh man, there's all these other problems that sort of pop up. So one of them might be, well, if I can store the data anywhere, how do I make sure that someone has the data? It's not that I know for sure that this application developer has it. I need to have some sort of way of knowing that the internet in totality is holding on to this thing. And that's where like Filecoin comes in as an answer to that question, uh, where Filecoin creates both through cryptography and economic incentives, a structure where you can actually verify that there is some number of copies of pieces of data on the internet. It can build open services around both storing, retrieving, and transforming that data. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I've, I've done my fair share of research on Arweave and, you know, Filecoin and, and all the different projects that are, you know, brilliantly working on solving this. I guess one kind of fun curveball that I can throw to you is, is how does, you know, what is, what is the disadvantage to having decentralized storage right now? And how can we work on improving that? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think one thing people probably sort of intuitively understand, but maybe you don't think about as often, is decentralization is a tax, right? We're introducing inefficiency, um, but we're doing it for a specific reason. So we pay the decentralization tax in order to get a different type of efficiency. Like if you think about Uniswap as an example, you pay this tax in terms of running things on Ethereum, but the efficiency that you get is you get the liquidity of literally any person who wants to contribute into this protocol. Um, and in the same way, when we introduce this decentralization tax in terms of decentralized storage, the liquidity that we get is in terms of anyone can contribute this hardware into this like massive ecosystem. And so what we actually see with Filecoin, if you set up the incentives correctly, is you can actually use these incentives to bootstrap massive amounts of hardware to come serve these systems. Uh, so Filecoin has been in existence since October of 2020. And in that time, it's amassed about 18 epibytes of storage capacity, somewhere around there. And to put that in context, that's like the amount of hardware that Google in mid-2014, 2015, was able to summon. And so any individual company trying to do that would be impossible. But when you're saying it's 4,000 individual companies working together, well, that actually becomes a much more tractable problem, which is sort of what we see. And so like, I think the, the important piece here is not saying that decentralization is inherently better. It's saying that decentralization comes at a cost, but it gives us additional superpowers, which is this sort of coordination, like social coordination across all of these untrusting groups. And I think like the big bet I would have for most of Web3 is that with the different efficiencies that we get through technological improvement, through research, is that we can remove and move down that cost of decentralization while retaining the benefits. And so I don't think that means that today we're at the stage where everything is like 100% perfect. We're building, a, like, we're building an entirely new version of how you can think about services on the web. Um, but you can see sort of like the path up the mountain of like, what are the use cases that are better served today by decentralized storage that honestly are just like areas that the traditional cloud infrastructure has sort of like sort of ignored. <laughs> and those are the places where we have the first opportunity to, uh, to sort of like tackle things. And then as the improvements land, we can sort of climb our way up the mountain to tackle more and more use cases to slowly eat into the lion's share of what are people actually doing on the web. Yeah, very well said. And I, I do really like the idea that it's like a, a cooperative game, you know, in a way that because I, I majored in game theory or economics and specialized in game theory. And I always really loved seeing this kind of thing play out in the space because having 
having 4,000 people, for example, or companies contributing to a network and having an incentive there is a, a beautiful thing that, you know, everybody's sort of co-opting together to, to make this thing come true or reality. So where are we at today? Like what, what's the stage of like, you, you did a great job of mentioning, okay, this is where Google was, but where are we today in terms of decentralized storage on Filecoin? And where do you kind of see us getting to a stage that's, you know, mainstream adoptable style uh, storage? Yeah. So I will use another analogy. Um, I think so to maybe set the stage of what is like the full vision of Filecoin. I think the vision of Filecoin is very tied to the vision of IPFS, where IPFS is really, it's not, IPFS doesn't mandate a specific storage layer, and that's actually a feature. You can use IPFS with Arweave, you can use it with just centralized infrastructure, you can use it with whatever. The vision of IPFS is let's content address the world. And in so doing, we can uncouple data layers from application layers, which means you can use data and store data wherever. Um, the story with Filecoin as a complement to that is to really think about how do we build open services where through the power of basically what we get with blockchains, we can create the incentive mechanisms to build open services as alter credible alternatives to traditional cloud. Um, and so in that vision, it's not just storage that we're talking about because storage is just a fraction of what people do. It's storage, it's CDNs, so the distribution of content, it's compute, so it's like the transformation of content. And then it's being able to do the permissionless interface between all of these things. And so if you think of where Filecoin is today, we're very much in like the first inning. I would say the analogy I use quite a lot is uh, if folks follow Tesla, we're in Tesla's Roadster era right now. The point of the first Roadster wasn't that you've solved everything. Uh, in fact, the Roadster had many drawbacks in a number of ways. It had terrible range. It was expensive to manufacture. It was very like awkward in a bunch of the design decisions. But the point was that you can make an electric vehicle that was fun to drive. And between the Roadster and the Model 3, what you had was a bunch of 10% improvements to the drivetrain, to the battery chemistry, aerodynamics, heat exchanger. And when you stack up all these 10% improvements, you get a 100% better car with better margins, cheaper to manufacture. And I think that's what's happening with decentralized storage. So with Filecoin, a lot of our goals have been truly to say, like, how do you build credible alternatives to the cloud? And I think one of those problems requires solving scale, which arguably Filecoin is the only decentralized storage project that is actually operating at internet scale. Um, the fact that I can use like Google at a meaningful point in history as the comp is, I think, like telling because you can still verify the Filecoin blockchain on a normal laptop. And this has to do with like how Filecoin uses zero knowledge proofs in a clever way. Um, but effectively, Filecoin has solved the scale problem, and now we're working on, well, how do you unlock more and more use cases for it? Um, so on the storage side, I think the exciting things to keep an eye on are some of these improvements around how you do the storage process, ceiling as a service, snarks as a service, things that remove uh, some of the friction in the, the storage uh, providing process. Um, and then you also have these other services that are coming online in the next couple quarters with the retrieval market, Computer for data, so do, being able to do some of that transformation I was talking about, um, as well as smart contracts. So you can start writing programs to say, hey, I would like to always make sure that there's n number of copies of my data on the internet. If one of those copies falls off, please automatically re-trigger another copy to be stored. Or when new data lands, uh, 
please pay for someone to run this transformation, so run some job on top of it, and then store the outputs. Or I would like to, like, sort of like in a Netflix style <laughs> thing, I would like the smart contract to pay for both the storage and the distribution of this content so I can like hyper-locally cache this uh, with like my users, things like that. Um, so I think like the power of what we're looking at is across like both the services that are getting built out. So storage, retrieval, compute, making those services more efficient, making sure all of those can scale out. But then also the Web3 side of those things where it's like with all of these open services that anchor into the same blockchain, being able to use smart contracts to do things like schedule those services to run, automate the payment, build more creative primitives around those if I want to have a storage future. So I can like book out storing like a terabyte in a, like for the n number of years. You're able to do that sort of thing and hedge prices. Um, so I think it's like a much more expansive vision and we're very much in like the first, maybe second inning, one might call it. Um, but yeah, lots to go. Very cool. Very cool. And shifting gears a bit, you know, you are really spearheading the the whole front on NFT and gaming with the ecosystem. So I'm I'm curious to get your take as to where that's at with development wise on Filecoin and IPFS and, and how you see the stage that we are there. Because we talked about the stage that we are with the storage component, and I'd like to get your take on you know, where you see the the kind of status of mainstream adoption with NFTs and gaming. Yeah. So I think as everyone sort of saw in 2021, we saw NFTs really break into the mainstream and now we've seen a bit of a pullback. And I don't think that's like a ding on anything. I think it's sort of like what happens when people discover something new. I think you get this wave of excitement. Sometimes there's like a little bit of overexcitement. And now we might be in like the trail of disillusionment where people are like overly bearish. Truthfully, in the way I see NFTs, NFTs are digital bearer objects. And I'd highlight that middle word of bearer where we've had digital objects before. Like you can go buy a skin in Fortnite or whatever. But the idea that it's a bearer object where it's the user who's bringing these app, like these objects around the web, uh, I think is something that we haven't really seen. Um, maybe people have experienced this if they like use their phone to sign up for something and import their contacts from their phone book. But like we've had very limited contexts where like users are the ones that are truly in control of their data and what that actually means. So I think with NFTs, part of the reason why I think a lot of Web2 folks get this wrong is they hyperfixate on the use cases of today where they're like, oh, it's just profile pictures. This is so silly. Who's paying whatever for a JPEG? Versus thinking more expansively about what does it mean to have a digital bearer object where like the thing that we are basically talking about is like inventing paper <laughs> to some degree. And like, yeah, in the beginning of like, so when we think about what is the full scope of what things will use NFTs, I think it's much broader than what people are generally giving it credit for, um, at least in the mainstream. And I think that's largely just because people haven't interacted with it or thought super deeply about what does it mean to have this sort of new primitive. And so if we do accept that like having digital bearer objects is actually useful, then we have to start thinking about, well, how do we scale these systems out? Um, using decentralized storage isn't so much like a toy thing. It's actually kind of a requirement when you think about NFTs. If you don't want your NFT to like break in some number of years, you need the ability to have content addressability because then you can swap out the storage layer if needed. You need something like Filecoin to make sure that there is someone who's holding on to these copies, not just taking it on faith because someone said that they're going to serve this content, that it's going to be there. And I think like these are the important primitives where 
especially for decentralized storage, um, the things that we have to think about are both like, what are the guarantees that we're offering for folks and how strong are those guarantees? But then also, are we limiting what people can do with the medium? And so what we see on the gaming side is even in this time, like the trove of disillusionment, um, we're seeing people still push forward quite a lot. Uh, so NFT storage, which is a project in our ecosystem, I think it's about like two or three X the amount of data that's being stored on it uh, from the beginning of the year. So despite like the bear market, like people continue to build. And I think what we're seeing is people are doing more and more interesting things with NFTs. Um, there's projects like Mona that are building full metaverse worlds that you can go explore as NFTs. We're seeing games look at uh, integrations in different ways. It's not just like game objects. It's being import being able to import your PFPs as like ways of bringing new customers into their game environments. I think you're seeing people experiment in different ways and having the ability to build like whatever application, regardless of size, is like a really important property. And that's where things like Filecoin, where it's literally engineered to serve internet scale things, has turned out to actually be like pretty useful. Um, I think the other thing that's been interesting that we've seen inside of like the gaming sphere is people now looking at decentralized technologies, not just for like the NFT properties, but also just as like ways of distributing games themselves. Um, so it's really interesting. We've been working with a team uh, that's been trying to basically leverage some of the properties of Unreal Engine 5 to be able to reduce the footprint of games just using decentralized storage and IPFS and content addressability so that you can download on demand uh, the components of a game that you need to play it rather than downloading the full like 50, 100 gigabyte file that you might need to do otherwise. Um, and so I think this is sort of like the pincer attack of like, we have like the very Web3 native reasons why game developers uh, are sometimes picking up their heads to look at the infrastructure that we're building. But I think you also now have people looking at it more just from first principles of are there opportunities to just make things easier and uncouple yourself from having to distribute your game binaries through like the Steam store. If you can use decentralized storage to push out updates and bind and like patch, uh, patch your games, uh, that's just more efficient. And it means that you as a developer aren't coupled to one specific uh, institution in order to like, like interact with your players. Um, so I think like there's a lot going on. I think even despite the bear, uh, like builders will continue to build. Um, and I would expect that a lot of these things will pay off in like the next year, two years, uh, like as like we're in unprecedented macroeconomic conditions. But like the thing that's actually quite fascinating is just like the first principles, like are people doing things for the right reasons or are they doing it for like short-term gain? And during a bear market, the short-term gain bit <laughs> feels less uh, re less relevant for folks. And so you're left with the builders who are like actually doing interesting things, which to me is the, the compelling part. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, not a not a bear market, a bull, uh, a build market, I think is what people call it because it's, it's where the, the people that didn't get attention as much so during the bull market with all the sort of hype and the, sort of euphoric speculative investing and all that all that stuff I think that the people that really deserve the attention the builders uh, start to get it during these bear markets when there's a big flush out and I, I wanted to get your your opinion on just what what you get excited about because you know you have a really extensive background Palantir you know working on filecoin and protocol labs and I want to want to understand what you're excited about outside of the projects that you're building, because we've covered a lot of ground here with NFTs and gaming and just the, the, the stage that we are. So when you get up in the morning, what is it that just gets you super 
excited, super hyped when you check your phone and you're just eager to learn more about? Yeah. So there's like two different directions that I think both, again, sort of like converge. So one is going to be a very lame answer because I work in this space. I do think uh, sort of like, what is the vision of content addressing? Uh, There's some really good talks. Maybe I can send it to you and you can put it in your show notes that some folks have given about like why content addressing, again, not because of like specific decentralization principles, but just from here's how you can sort of see the trends of computing and why this might be like a better way of designing systems. And the reason that gets me super excited is this is, again, it's not saying that like the stuff that we're working on is just purely like uh, from some philosophical position, though I think those are good reasons. It's not the only reason. It's saying like, not only is the philosophical reason aligned correctly, but as you think about the future of, we're going to have more data-rich applications, the cost of storage is moving down, the cost of compute's moving down. When you look at how applications are designed, I think there is really good first principles reasons for why the ways in which these systems are being designed will be how the future of the internet works. Um, And so to me, that gets me very excited because it's like all the things that I get to work on every day is moving that faster or that reality towards us faster, which is obviously like quite fun to feel like you're making a difference. Um, The other side that's interesting to me is when I see things happening in other ecosystems where you can sort of see the parallels and where things might be going inside of our, like the Web3 world. Um, So I think one of the interesting features of DeFi, if you go listen to traditional media talk about DeFi, I think people sort of see that like there's some compelling stuff going on there. But the question that comes up quite a lot is, okay, but is it turtles all the way down? Like, is it just people flipping tokens back and forth to each other? What is sort of like the thesis with like DeFi overall? And I think like a standard answer inside of Web3 would be, yeah, well, once the world adopts crypto rails, so once we have uh, maybe like more stable coins that are coming from different currencies, people will trade and like these will be the settlement rails for the world. And I think that's like one compelling version of the future. But in my realm, the reason that gets super exciting is when you start thinking of other services that natively take crypto payments, I think this is like what Web3 infrastructure can do. So for Filecoin, as an example, we have 4,000 businesses that all are tied to our crypto economic rails. There are 4,000 businesses that accept Filecoin as payment. And they're offering services that, real world services that people want to use, which is like storage. And soon there'll be retrieval and compute. And I think when you start thinking about DeFi, like the interesting feature of DeFi and like finance in general, right? Like the point of Wall Street is not just to like speculate on stuff, uh, although that is a large portion of what some people do. Uh, Wall Street is to like raise financing for like real world goods and services, like businesses that are trying to do things. And I think like DeFi's complement will be a lot of these open services where being able to do the cool financial stuff that people are already building, but apply it to specific services that also operate on these same rails. And I think like this is, again, uh, to use the same term, like the pincer attack of as people have done all this DeFi innovation, the pairing of that with open services is going to be, I think, a pretty compelling thing, even for like the traditional folks who are currently looking with squinty eyes at this entire space, um, where, yeah, there's like real applications that will make incredible amounts of sense. Um, so that to me is like the other super compelling area where you can sort of squint out and see where things are going. I like that. Uh, looking at it with squinty eyes. <laughs> That's a great way of saying it. 
Well, those are all the questions I have for you, John. Where can people go and learn more? Yeah. So if you're trying to learn more about Filecoin, um, you can head over to the Filecoin website. Filecoin.io uh, is the website. The same for IPFS. It's IPFS.io. Or if you want to hit me up on Twitter, uh, my handle is Jonathan Victor with no vowels. So J-N-T-H-N-V-C-T-R. And yeah, just shoot me a DM and I'm happy to answer any questions. Awesome. Awesome. Well, wherever you guys are listening on iTunes or Spotify, the links that John mentioned will be in the show notes. But thanks so much for coming on and sharing everything that is IPFS and Filecoin, John. Thank you. 